merry general election or is it boxing day from the general election oh i don't know so it's friday it's friday yes. we have a new government but we don't know we what don't it is <laughs> it's very i was going to say exciting but that's really not the no, word is it it's beginning to get very tense i think what is more important is that now that's all out of the way it's flipping christmas yeah Whee. Yes, we can. Yeah, the uh, the ele- Boris Johnson ruined Christmas by calling an election, <laughs> but now he's it's just about saved because we can now not think about the election for twenty four hours a day every day. Wonderful. And I want to get some Christmas cards through the door rather than every time I hear the letterbox. I'm like, <laughs> yay! I've got to. Go. Oh, oh no, it's another Liberal it's Democrat leaflet. <laughs> another one. Right, let's go. You're listening to The Real Reading Podcast. We apparently live in a society where people who go to festivals need to be told that putting their sleeping bags down the toilet is not a, not a very good idea. Did you ever watch that programme, uh, Hunted, on Channel yes. 4? Yes, that Did was you brilliant. Did see the yes. one where the guy came out of Reading Station yeah. and chased him all through Reading, yeah. all along the canal, and eventually caught him at the funny Yes, that was brilliant. Hello. I'm Hugh Fort. I'm Rachel Nemeth. And I'm Tom Canning. And welcome to episode 81 of the Real Running Podcast with special guest interviewee Andrew Taylor, who is the musical director of Aldworth Philharmonic Orchestra and a Pride of Reading 2019 winner. We've also got Rachel's Fact of the Week, and Hugh is back with another Fort Explains It All. Definitely 100% got a Fort Explains It All for this week. No. Okay. Because we'll talk about no later. one is doing anything apart from the, it, talking about the general election, and due to the unique way that the Real Reading podcast is recorded, we're coming out on the day after the general election. So I can't even talk about what might happen in the general election because it won't make any sense. So unfortunately, hopefully things might get back to. Oh no, then it's Christmas. So after Christmas, I might have some things to explain. But okay. But we get... could do um, like your predictions, and then when people are listening to it, yeah. they'll know. Oh, we could. Whether uh, your predictions. So I have to think of my predictions accurate. now off the top of my head. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Um, you were busy telling us all last night what you predicted. Yes, my. Oh, wait, wait. Ooh. Is it time? Is it time for Fort Explains It All? Of course no, it's not. Is it? Come back to Fort Explains <laughs> It All in a little while. He's getting a bit carried away. I'm so sorry. I got excited then. Because <laughs> I gave you an idea. You're just going to run with it. Go. Hugh, you did want to briefly say why you've been ill or feeling under the weather? Not ill under the weather, in quite considerable, fairly oh, yes. low level, <laughs> it, quite uncomfortable. Um, I'd call it low level, low level pain that has that has led to me moving even more slowly than normal for the last couple of days because I, I'm not a regular partake partaker in this activity, but I played football. For seventy minutes in an eleven-a-side match at the weekend, and it was quite cold. It was quite windy. There was a brief bit of hail, which we could all have done without. Sorry, so Tom's just trying to wake himself up. Then I was listening to you. We, yes, it was the annual Twyford Cricket Club versus Twyford Football Club match at the weekend, of which I partook, and I played for seventy minutes. Ah. of the 80 minute match and, and how my hamstrings my hamstrings then told me that this was enough and I, I left the field how excellent was I yeah um, 
Because last year you basically came off suggesting you were a cross between Messi and Ronaldo. <laughs> Ronaldo, yeah. <laughs> um, I played with two, two the probably towards the best of my my ability. You I, carried I set up a goal last year. I set up a goal last year. I didn't set up a goal this year, but I I, I did all right. But football is hard. Football is very hard if you don't play football a lot, especially when you're 38. <laughs> I've reached the age where people give up playing football, and I was trying to play football oh. as a one-off, and it wasn't um, it it so wasn't easy. It was also very don't boggy. Off. It's just yeah. fun. But basically, I felt oh, let us the next that. morning nearly every my ears were quite. My ears were all right. My eyes were relatively... Were your ears sore from the rollicking you got from your uh, team captain? From my team captain for not tracking back. <laughs> I still don't know what tracking back is, but I certainly wasn't doing any of it. He wanted, apparently, he wanted me to run up the pitch, but then also back again once I'd inevitably lost the ball, which I can't do. So um, It was quite good fun, but we got, our team got a bit thrashed. 7-2. I can reliably tell you all the goals were definitely offside. All of them. <laughs> From my position on the halfway line, trying to breathe in and out, I could definitely see all the goals were off- offside. You sound like a really valuable team member. Yes. <laughs> it was important to have 11 players on the pitch. <laughs> okay, thank you, Hugh, uh, for that um, brief interlude. Um, here's Jeremy with how you can get in touch with the show. Get in touch with the team. Find us on Twitter at Real Reading Pod and search Facebook and Instagram for Real Reading Podcast. You can also email getreading at reachplc.com. Thank you, Jeremy. Uh, right, new things. Uh, we are going to try and keep things too brief and move through them. We've got a little timer, so that's what that little binging was uh, going on before. So we're going to try and keep things a little tighter. So here we go. The next session, The next section is the weekly question. Now, the weekly question that I asked on our Facebook and Twitter pages this week was... If you could set up your own festival in Reading, it would be a festival of. Oh, oh that's and I've a had some responses. Okay. Do, you to, do you want to hear some responses yeah, it might first? Give me some inspiration, and then we will come back to. Uh, so I just moved my laptop. So here we go. First off, um, Peter Bowyer. Yep. Festival of chicken shops. Now I think he's joking <laughs> because, quite honestly, uh, every day is a chicken shop festival. In Reading. We have a lot of chicken shops. Our chicken shops are new Tesco's. Oh, yes. We'll see them moving into pubs yeah. and taking over uh, all sorts of things. Uh, yes, they may well be. Um, Paul Smithson said a craft beer and heavy metal festival. I have confirmed oh, wow. he means together. Okay. So uh, he added uh, as uh, explanation, my reasoning is I miss the days when Reading Festival had an indie day, rock day and another type of day, maybe yeah. a Sunday. Um now it is a <laughs> now it is all a mix. Now it is all mixed. I find it a bit too diverse. I want a proper rock metal festival in the Reading area, which is what it. I mean, that festival started off as rock, didn't it? It, it did. Was a yes, rock festival. I um, think it could be described as that any longer. So those were all on our Facebook group, the Real Reading Podcast Facebook group. Yeah, uh, it's very explanatory in the title. If you'd like to go and join it, um, one day I'm hoping all 700 members will listen to the podcast in one week. That would be fantastic. Anyway, on Twitter, at Real Reading Pod, um, well, I responded because having just been in Germany for the weekend, uh, I would like a Wurst festival. 
which is basically another a word for of another sausage, another word for a sausage festival, which is yeah, I, I'm talking about the I was going to say the meat variety, but anyway, well, moving was, swiftly on. There was an Oktoberfest, wasn't there this year? There's always an, there's an Oktoberfest every year. No, in Reading, I mean, there was one in the. Um, Hills Med- I always forget the Summit Meadow car park, <laughs> but the one by Reading Bridge. Yes, uh, there was yes. one there. Um, so Twitter. Also, we have ten pin bowling. Everybody is obsessed with ten pin bowling. Oh, this is from play. Stand and Deliver Comedy Club. Ten pin bowling. Why don't we have a bowling alley every week? I don't get the point in bowling. What's the point? It gets as previously discussed. We could have one soon, possibly. Yes. Several people have pointed this out. Um, Reading tool me has said uh, there's one coming in the current House of Fraser site going through planning at the moment don't worry Hugh I did point out it may not be it might be it depends have to get permission Um, Simeon Pickup uh, formerly of this parish sort of I believe he certainly worked upstairs for a little while he said disappointing football Um, I suggest we already have one of those every (laughs) other Saturday Um, now this one was interesting Uh, the Tony X barbershop said anything with game lens do you know what game lens is? I had to look this up on Wikipedia. Game, game lands. Game lands, yes. Or ga- uh, oh, yeah, ga- game I'm not sure if I'm, I'm pronouncing it correctly. I, no, I don't know what that is. Um, so I looked it up on Wikipedia. It's the traditional ensemble music of Javanese, Sudanese and Balinese in Indonesia. Well, we definitely need that. Um, and That's I, what Reddin is lacking. I can't, I've had to log off for the internet to stop the annoying bingings coming through, so I haven't managed to get as far as... Um, check it but i think it's matt brady responded and said something a bit like womad it sounds like we could do with another womad womad yeah that'd be i never went to that no neither did i but it looked great i think i would have loved it i think i'd probably go now um two more just for you uh mirko bolazan said subutio which is would be a great festival (laughs) festival (laughs) of subutio championships Uh, and finally chris riley said comedy massively lacking since the last one ended there's a vibrant community of improv and stand-up comedy in town a focus week on it would really give it a boost Mm. i think is all fair enough so you've had your time we've got 57 seconds okay i'd go for something uh i have to go family orientated now so that the um ready pop festival was really good last year so something like that Possibly, but with a bit more. So I'm going to combine it with the ready-made local Etsy thing. So a big kind of craft local yeah. thing with bands playing. We can have could the bands, stalls could if you like. The so bands be making out. crafts while they're singing. Yes, I think this sounds they like can. A crocheting <laughs> while they <laughs> sing. Crochet while you rock. Yeah. <laughs> Crochet around the clock. Um, oh, the start of a song. Hugh, you've got. Uh, Oh, 11 seconds. Go on. Banter. <laughs> oh, that's every week Best on the Real Reading Podcast. <laughs> Thank you very much, guys. Um, right. Fact of the week. It's time for Rachel's Fact of the Week. Here's some music. Reading Fact of the Week. Rachel's Fact of the Week time. Hello, Rach. What have we got Hello. this week? Well, because I'm getting ready to book my tickets for the Panto. Oh, yes. Oh, no, you're not. Oh, yes, I am. Is uh, this with the £10 discount I gave you? Oh, no, it isn't. Oh. Too early, too soon, sorry. So I was going to talk about the Hexagon. Oh, Because, okay. I mean, we all know that it's a bit of a controversial building in that it's... Is it controversial? Un- well, no, only in that it's a bit 
unusual and dated, perhaps. It's and got there's six always sides. talk about a new theatre. Yeah. Moving it, building a new one, putting it Reading Jail. Gale, sorry. Goal. Goal. <laughs> um, so, it's older than me. Not many things are. <laughs> when was it built? Hugh. No, he's not older than you. He's not older I'm than not. Me, no. uh, when was it built? Was this quiz? Yeah, yeah. 19... I'm throwing the questions in because you love it. 70. I know the answer to this. Go on then. It's 1977. It is. That is correct. Same year as Star Wars. That is correct. Okay. Um, so it was built by Robert Matthew Johnson, ah. who also built the Civic Centre. RMJ. Oh, right. No so, so his architecture, sadly, hasn't quite... It didn't stick. No. Somewhat grey. But around that, you know, the 60s, 70s, it was probably oh, like the yeah. height of design at that point. Yep. Okay. And it was compared um, in design to Derby's assembly rooms, but obviously the hexagon was described as being both architecturally and acoustically superior. Well, it's the acoustics that matter, isn't it? Of course it's superior. It's in Reading. It's in Reading. Um, So it's got an arena style of seating. It's really flexible. If you've been there, I'm sure most people have seen something there at one point or another. Oh, yes. So you've got the balcony seating, and then downstairs um, you can either have all the seats taken out, have it standing, or you can have it in different arrangements. So capacity-wise... 3,000? No, it's, it's nowhere near as big as that. Oh, really? No. Um, so if you've got all you the seats in... It's not answered. What? Are you going for a guess? If, if, if you've got all the seating uh, in... 300? No, I mean, that's <laughs> also ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> So we're at least we're, we're, well, we're both ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. So if you if you're all sitting, it's twelve hundred. Okay. Um, if you have the seats taken out downstairs, so seated upstairs and standing downstairs, likely for music event, um, it's just under seventeen hundred. Okay. But if you are taking into account a theatre production that uses the uh, the pres- <laughs> it's one of those words I can't <laughs> say again. <laughs> Prostenium arch. Right. Prostenium arch. Um, then you can only have 946 people. Oh, okay. So, I mean, obviously you know what that means. The arch, right? Nope. No, no? Oh, that's awkward. He's not even paying attention since that little world. I know. I've obviously sent him to yeah, sleep. Yeah. What is the prostenium? I'm, sul- I'm sulking about my rubbish guess. Oh. <laughs> what is the prostenium arch? So if you're arch? watching a performance where um, it's a, an imaginary vertical performance space, so right. most of the action takes place on the stage, people okay. are standing on the stage. But if you have action that where, say you're seeing Peter Pan, and he is flying, okay. yeah, For and real. he flies up yeah. to the top of the stage space, if you were sitting in the stalls and you were under the overhang of the balcony, you wouldn't be able uh, to see him okay, right. when he has flown to the top. So for that reason, when they are having a performance that includes perf- things like Flying. that, you don't sit in certain seats because uh, you okay. wouldn't be able to see the whole lot. So there, I learnt that. Um, Acoustics-wise, um, it's it's got panels all the way around to give good acoustics and the ones on the ceiling rotate 
So depending what kind of performance you're watching, they can tweak it and turn them around oh. to direct the sound in the right cool. in the right directions. Um, and I just did a quick Google to see what famous people have performed there. Um, the Queen came there in 78. Oh, okay. To open it, I presume. No, it wasn't. No, because it opened the year before. Oh, okay. She came as part of her jubilee. Oh, have a little nosy. Come and have a little look. Um, David Essex. Oh, yes. Uh, Simple Minds. <laughs> yeah, I've just remembered. So we had our Christmas party on Tuesday night and Liz told us a funny story. Our colleague Liz told us a funny story about David Essex and her she mum. Did. Which, if you ever meet Liz, ask her about it. It's <laughs> hilarious. Um, Simple Minds have performed there. Jimmy Carr, Al Murray. It's just loads loads of stuff. So it got me thinking about, oh, what have I seen over the years? I've, I should go more. But... Panto, obvs. Obvs. Um, my friend is in the Sainsbury Singers, so I've seen some of their things there. Um, Abba Sing Along, classic. And I saw Zog earlier okay. this year. A couple of bands. I saw the Amazons and Zero Seven there a long time ago. I've definitely been to a Panto what there. Have you been to? Definitely a Panto and Frank Turner. Oh. Not together. Hubert? I saw Dave Gorman, a comedian. Oh, yeah. great. Yep. And Google I saw, whack. and I saw Danny Baker. Ah, you've you've mentioned your your trip to Danny Baker before on the podcast. Yes, I, I mentioned it before. He was he became embroiled in a some an unfortunate controversy. Um, <laughs> oh yes, but he his show is very good. Excellent, great. So it was marvelous. Uh, and I'm within my time slot. You are. You've still got another three minutes and fifty seconds. Oh, well, I'm all right. Let's move on, shall we? Yeah. Let's go. All right. In that case, then, that is the end of part one. Um, in part two, we will join Hugh for Hugh Does Not A Lot. Or explains it all. This is Fort Explains It All. Welcome back to part two. Hugh Fort, the floor is yours. What are we talking about this week? So you may or may not know. Okay. There's an election tomorrow. No. No, not tomorrow. Yesterday. There was an election yesterday. Right, dear listener, take. let's just take you back for just a moment. Sorry, I'm Hugh, I'm eating into your time. We're recording this podcast on Wednesday, the day before the election. Uh, it will go out on the Friday, the day after the election. Are we, are we breaking the fourth wall? <laughs> yes, we are breaking the fourth wall. I'm talking directly to you, all of you. Let, just, let, so this could get confusing. Hugh, let's go. So these are my, these are, this is how I think it's going to go. Um, it's going to be very close in Reading. Um, Labour and the Tories are... Battling it out. Um, you may have seen we had a, we had a visit from Hugh Grant with, yes. the Labour, with the Labour Party. Hugh Grant, who claims to be apolitical, has been spotted with the Labour and um, and the Liberal Democrats, yes. not in Reading, um, it, the Liberal Democrats elsewhere. But he was in Reading West with Rachel Eden, who's the Labour candidate there. His message is um, he's basically anti-Brexit and, and quite anti-conservative, actually, as well. Um, uh, he, yeah, so he was there. Um, what I really, really want to know is if Hugh Grant walked up to your door and knocked, did anybody tell him to sing the carol? And the carol I'm <laughs> referring to with his driver, who her, turns out to be a very, very good singer. Was it Good King Wenceslas? He was yes, singing. Yes, it was. So there was quite a lot of uh, 
cries out on Facebook that perhaps he should take the role of Prime Minister because <laughs> although it was fictional, it was perhaps the best. <laughs> yes, I'm not so sure about that. But Hugh, sorry, carry on. Uh, the Tories have been um, Tories have been focusing very much on the two Reading seats as well. We've had Theresa May, the former Prime Minister in town, Sajid Javid, the Chancellor, um, other big big names um, from the Tory party. We haven't had Boris Johnson, as far as I'm aware. There was a rumour um, that he might be coming, but if he has come, it's been it's been kept secret. Um, and the it, it the Reading seats are very much seen as the two of the battlegrounds in. Um, in Berkshire, but also nationally as well, as as we know, Reading uh, West is a indicator of how the election is going to go um, historically, and it's very close there, and it's so close. In fact, it's really hard to, for me to make a prediction. There are several predictions I could make, but they're all like, <laughs> you know, it could stay the same, but it could change. That's going to be. That's <laughs> Why don't you predict? Every possible yes. outcome, and <laughs> yeah, you they can't swap. Yep, they can swap. Um, Reading East could become Tory, and Reading West become, could become Labour. They could both become Labour, or they could be- both become Tory. It's that close. That is insightful. <laughs> Look out for my coverage on <laughs> on Thursday night and Friday morning, and you'll find out more. But to, uh, <laughs> I can't. I can't predict it. I can't. I, I wouldn't be surprised if so. Any this this whole segment devoted to Hugh predicting an outcome of an election that, when this comes out, has already happened. <laughs> yeah, ask me again on on Friday morning. <laughs> we'll record something else. Um, if we twist twisted your arm, um, I would. And you were forced Reading East, into an answer. I would predict Reading East will stay Labour, mm-hmm. and Reading West. I really don't know. Um, Awkward the thing is, if Reading West goes as it historically does and Labour win, then Labour will win the election. But no one's saying that Labour are going to win a majority in the election. So the prediction is that Alok Sharma will win very narrowly. That's what I say. Alok Sharma will win very narrowly based on the prediction that the Tories themselves were going to win very narrowly in the main election. So I will say it will stay stay the same. That's my prediction. Okay. But very, very close. The majority, but I think both of their majorities, which are neither of which are particularly big, will be reduced greatly. So stay the same, but very, very close. And if if there ends up being a hung parliament in another election next year, look out for Reading again. <laughs> uh, Wokingham also, um, which encompasses Greater Reading as well, um, a place like Early, very, very close. John Redwood, safe Tory seat for many years, very much under pressure from the Liberal Democrat, Philip Lee, who's a former member of Port Tory, Tory MP for Bratnall, now part of the Lib Dems and standing in Wokingham. That's another place to keep an eye on. Uh, Windsor, Maidenhead, Berkshire, Slough will all stay the same. Thanks very much, Hugh. Hugh Fort there, ladies and gents, with um, answers to questions you already know the answer to on Friday morning. Who's fallen off, eventually fell off the fence that I was sitting on. <laughs> I it took a bit of cajoling, <laughs> but we got him there in the end. So I'm either right or wrong. <laughs> I totally don't understand the point of what we've just done there, but, um, but it's just—it's yeah. like a test, isn't it? How yeah. well does Hugh know his local politics? Well, I think he knows his local politics very well. I'm just, you know, oh, who knows, really? Okay, um, that was nice and brief. Um, we've got plenty of time left uh, now. What that means is I recorded an extended interview with Andrew Taylor at the Aldworth Philharmonic Orchestra. Um, and by extended, I mean settle in. It's a good one. Okay. You're going to enjoy it. 
Um, absolutely thoroughly nice bloke. Um, lots of lots of thoughts, lots of opinions um, on the way that Reading is, is kind of independence and having things to do. Just particularly people sort of who say, oh, there's nothing to do with Reading. Wrong. It's plenty if you look for it. Here we go. Hello, everybody. Uh, I would like to welcome Andrew Taylor to the podcast this week. Andrew, hello. Hello. Um, why don't you tell me a little bit about because I've already got it wrong once. Well, to be fair, the name of the orchestra, of which I'm the music director, is quite difficult to say. <laughs> so it's the Aldworth Philharmonic Orchestra, um, which everybody, well, not everybody, but quite a lot of people assume that we're from a sleepy West Berkshire village yes, on the Ridgeway. With a great pub. With a great pub, and if you cricket club next door, and if you hit a six and it lands in the beer garden, you get a free pint and stuff like that. And the orchestra pipes up. Absolutely, and yes. Okay. Um, uh, 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 and it's quite unlikely, it seems quite unlikely, and it is unlikely, because oh. we're, we're, we're just from Reading. So That's... Uh. We're actually named after a 17th century philanthropist called Richard Aldworth who was the founder of Reading Bluecoat School in Sonning, uh, which originally was in Reading, of course, the school. And about 17 years ago, I went to uh, my old headmaster and said, is there any chance that you could uh, give us a hand with setting up this orchestra, give us a rehearsal venue, concert venue? And uh, they've been very supportive ever since. Fantastic. You st- are you still there rehearsing there? Uh, we are occasionally there. We are, we, we've moved around a little bit recently. Um, we've done some rehearsals at the John Belushi Academy yep. in Whit- Whitley and we're going to do some rehearsals at Wangels College in Woodley in the new year. Now, the reason uh, I got in contact with you was because I was stood at the side at the recent Pride of Wedding Awards and I saw you walking up there to collect your award. What was the award you picked up? So it was for cultural contribution uh, and uh, it was absolutely lovely to, to be presented with that award. I think it was even lovelier to be nominated by Zhuzhi, who's the director of the Reading Fringe Festival, yes. an all-round cultural powerhouse. Yes. Um, and she wrote an absolutely beautiful nomination. Uh, I get I get misty-eyed every time I think about <laughs> it. Um, and yeah, I, I, I couldn't believe it when, when um, they started reading out the citation and it was fairly obvious. I mean, classical musicians never win these things. <laughs> they really don't. Um, it's very unfashionable to to reward classical music. Although I have to say, at the awards ceremony, I felt like a complete imposter. In fact, when I, when I spoke to Mr. Tarrant on the stage, I said, I, I feel like a complete imposter. At which point, nobody came to join me on stage at all, because sadly, my sponsors weren't able to send anybody <laughs> to the event. Um, uh, and when you consider the, the, kind of, the achievements of some of the award winners, yeah. um, you know, people with tremendous courage uh, and raise a lot of money for charity, and that APO is a charity, but even so, um, I felt that my award was uh, well, I was somewhat overshadowed by some of the achievements of others. <laughs> but at the same time, I, I, it's caused me to reflect on 17 years of APO yeah. and um, my musical contribution to the town. And uh, yeah, perhaps actually some of it is deserved and, and it's nice. It's very lovely to get recognition. So <clears throat> take, take us back to how you started then. Obviously, the, the 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 awards is kind of at the moment, kind of the end. Not not the end, not the end, so to speak. But the it's kind the, of it's the, the end now. At the end of the beginning. The, yeah. Yes, exactly. It's the it's the right now. But take us back seventeen years. Then you you how did you did this start because of you or did it? Well, I mean, we can go back a little bit further. Not that I want to bore your listeners with no, no, my no. life story, but I I'm a they listen to me here and Rachel. <laughs> so they are quite used to it. So I'm a, a Reading boy, born and bred. Uh, I was born in the Barks, um, as were my two boys actually. And um, I grew up in early and was a chorister at St. Peter's right. early. 
under the inspirational leadership of a, a gentleman called Gary Turner and also the assistant uh, music, uh, the assistant organist and choir master there who was Ruby Carter. Uh, both now sadly departed. Um, and I cut my musical teeth through re rehearsals twice a week, services twice on a Sunday, uh, a bit of music theory, and then I started learning the piano with another great inspiration of mine, uh, a lady called Anne Nunn who is a, a local piano teacher and still a great friend. And every year, I, I, I once or twice a year, depending on, on whether I, I have diary clashes, um, I turn pages for her and her duet partner, who's a guy called Jonathan Cohen, who listeners of a certain age, if I say I'm 40, then that might <laughs> give it away, um, might remember him from music time on play days. Um, right. So, so he, he, uh, it's an absolute hoot. Let me say, though, that turning pages for other people uh, rather than my own yes. score and conducting is easily the most terrifying gig of the year <laughs> for me because it can only go wrong yes. for the page turner. Uh, anyway, um, I, I, I then um, started learning the oboe when I was at school, uh, age 11. And uh, interestingly, I didn't really come to orchestral music until I was about 18 and did a gap year and joined Reading Youth Orchestra because I was in Friday night choir rehearsals right. and most of the instrumental stuff that was happening at what used to be called the Berkshire Young Musicians Trust, now Berkshire Maestros, yes. happened on a Friday evening. Um, so I came to orchestral music quite late um, and then I disappeared off to Cardiff for three years to, to, uh, to do a music degree and um, i sorry about the life story but that's, that's <laughs> worth, it's worth throwing in there a little detail that I was on, I was on the University of Wales Air Squadron for three and a half years, did all my elementary flying training for the RAF, uh, went to join the RAF decided against it um, because I knew that as an officer, especially as a sort of general duties pilot, I would never be able to live my life of music yeah. as I've come to know it. And that takes us conveniently <laughs> back to 2002 when I came back to Reading, moved back in with mum and dad, and, you know, mountains yeah. of student debt and all yeah. the rest of it. And I said to myself, I'm not going to do any job or career where I can't find time for music in my spare time because music is the most important part of me um, and the way I live my life. So uh, I, I threw myself into getting involved in as many orchestras as I could and, and other activities, mostly through the university when they still had a music department. Yeah. Um, and one night in the pub after a chamber orchestra rehearsal, I kind of worked out who the who the most upwardly mobile people were in, in, <laughs> and I sort of surrounded myself with them and I said, so who wants to start an orchestra? And they all looked at me as if I was slightly crazy. Um, and the way that APO works is that it, fill, it fills a niche for an amateur orchestra yeah. that doesn't rehearse uh, on weeknights every week. Um, so we've got quite a few of those around, like Reading Symphony Orchestra, uh, Henley Symphony Orchestra, Winston and Maidenhead, Newbury, um, Langtree. There's, there's quite a few in the local area, um, but there are, for young professionals, by which I mean not music professionals, yeah. there was no truly sort of non-professional orchestra in the Reading area that rehearsed just at weekends on a project basis. Now there is the very fine orchestra called West Forest Symphonia, but I regard them more as a bit of a sort of semi-pro orchestra right. because quite a few of their members make their living from playing or teaching music. Um, so. That's, that was the niche, and we started off really small. Um, <laughs> sort of like in your mum and dad's garage kind of thing. <laughs> Almost a bit like that. Yeah. As I say, I went, I went back to Reading Bluecoat School um, and had a chat with the headmaster there, and they very 
kindly offered us a rehearsal venue and we started off just by networking around friends and saying who wants to come and have yeah. a go at this and I think we started off our first concert was a very classical program now that's classical in the classical period sense rather than the broad sense of classical music right. so quite a small orchestra uh, and we took it from there and um, after a couple of years we got registered charity status we grew the orchestra we received our first lottery grant in 2003 which enabled us to do our first concert in Reading Town Hall something which okay. probably will return to a little bit later <laughs> in terms of a, a bit of a gripe I've got at the moment and, and some I think I saw this on Twitter indeed yes. <laughs> yeah, some, some promising developments actually around that which might be of interest to anybody who's involved in the arts community in Reading um, and that enabled us to again grow our membership yeah. and we perform three or four what I would call formal concerts per year um, and we in this last calendar year we have um, or in the last three years but particularly in this last calendar year we've got much better at presenting informal performances outside mm -hmm. of a sort of formal concert environment as well um, and I think that a large part of APO's appeal and ethos actually is well there's a couple of things first of all we we came up with this concert virgin scheme which offers free tickets to anyone who's never heard a live orchestra before you just rock up and say I've never heard a live orchestra we take it on trust um, and we give you a free ticket um, and about five I'd say five to ten percent of our concert audiences over the last 14-15 years have been concert virgins and of course right. if they like it which they invariably do because they hear the sound of an orchestra and they go gosh well, oh, I realised it sounded this amazing um, then they come back um, but another one is uh, the fact that we've commissioned I think 28 new works from young right. composers oh wow okay um, totalling I think now well over four hours of new music which doesn't sound like a lot but in terms of new music contemporary music that is a lot for an how, hour to how long would a, would a piece be it'll help just, just to how long would a piece normally be? Because obviously a, a sort of a pop song might be two, three minutes, and yeah. four hours is there for... That's, that's, that's quite a lot of music. So, so pieces in concerts can range from as short as one minute right. to, I mean, the longest we've done is Marla's Third Symphony, which has six movements, and lasts... We had an interval after the first movement, but the whole thing lasts around about 100 minutes. Um, and in terms of the commissioned works that we've done, the longest we've commissioned is about 25 minutes wow. which in itself is unusual so most most commissions especially from non-professional groups tend to be sort of uh, on occasion like celebratory fanfares that last three minutes mm. and plonked at the beginning of the program yeah. we tend to sort of put our commissioned works front and centre and uh, unashamedly present them and they are sometimes far out and a bit challenging <laughs> um, and our audience reacts to them uh, in a very positive way and that that can include not liking them because not yeah. liking a piece of music is a valid response to it it's an emotional reaction yeah. um and some uh, uh, but most people are quite open-minded and they, they they're quite diplomatic they say something like well i'd be really interested in hearing that again sometime yeah um which is their code for i don't really get it there's i, sp I suppose there's a, there's a there's a big difference between not liking a piece and thinking that the orchestra wasn't very good itself that's there's a huge difference between like it's all very well to go oh well they just weren't very good whereas the orchestra the orchestra were quite good but the piece didn't appeal to me there's there's a big difference between that. i liken it a little bit to, to when i go for a go for a beer and there will be beers that i don't like it doesn't mean it's a bad beer yes exactly and i think actually 
we could extend that to classical music as a whole. Yeah. So I, I had a friend come along as a concert version to a concert once. Um, so a few years ago when we did Pictures at APO's exhibition and we commissioned six school-age composers to work with a professional composer to write uh, a piece that reflected a piece of art that was done by a jelly artist. So you don't, I don't know if you know the organisation Jelly. I do, yes, yes. So they, they collaborated with us, with us on that, uh, which was wonderful. Uh, and he sat in the balcony, had a great view of the orchestra, and I saw him afterwards and I said, uh, so uh, how did you like it? And he goes... Well, I could see there was a lot of skill on the stage, <laughs> which is this very diplomatic way of saying it's not my cup of tea. And it's, it was a completely valid reaction. Yeah. So sometimes I get accused, and it really frustrates me when I get accused, of saying that everybody should like classical music. I don't think that. Um, as much as anybody should like everything at yeah. all. Um, but I do think everybody should try it. And for whatever reason... I think, as I said, classical music, classical musicians yeah. never win Pride of Reading Awards. No, 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 no. Um, for whatever reason, classical music has got a bit of a bad rep. Um, and that has a lot to do with some myths around it being for a privileged elite, for uh, people who are particularly well-educated. I mean, I, I read a brilliant analogy about this the other day. I can't, I can't, it was on Twitter, I retweeted it. So <laughs> I can't remember who it was to attribute it, but if you want to have a look at, um, at APOMD, I retweeted it, which is, and I'll try and get the analogy right. I probably won't. Which is something like, um, I don't know why people claim that they have to know a lot about classical music to come to a concert. Um, you don't go for a walk in the woods, or you don't refuse to go for a walk in the woods because you're not an arboreal.ist Yes. Um, so that there's also a, a really this is a terrible myth that classical music is really expensive. Uh, I mean, I, we 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 booked tickets to a West End musical. I won't say which one. <laughs> And they are eye-wateringly yes. expensive compared to the price you pay to hear the equivalent world-class level of professional orchestra yeah. uh, in, in London or somewhere like Hexagon or the Concert Hall. Um, so that, that's not right at all. And of course, APO's mission, a large part of its mission, is not just to give our wonderful members the opportunity to play great music, but it's also to share that. Yeah. So it would be absolutely, uh, well pointless really to play to an empty room yes we get the most satisfaction out of a performance when there is a buzz in the hall when we get out there with our instruments beforehand rather than creating a, a, a barrier between us and the audience and we chat to our audience who of course consists largely of our family and friends but we make an effort to talk to other people as well to welcome them especially people who are coming to a concert for the first time it's so important to show that we are just normal in inverted commas as much as anybody is normal we are normal people with a passion for something yeah. and we want to share that passion and if you turn around to us at the end and say it's not really my cup of tea that's just as valid a reaction yeah. as somebody who as the majority of people who turn around and say wow i had no <laughs> idea that this was so such an amazing thing it's you you bring up something that i i, I suppose i didn't really know was a problem or was a was a thing that people had. Well, let's face it, it's it, not it's not one of society's worst no, prejudices. No, no, but but just just sitting here thinking about it, right? Most people like the Star Wars theme tune. Well, it's funny you the should Star say Wars that. The Star Wars theme tune is probably classic. I would class it as classical music. I would, I, absolutely. If so, you go to the movie, if you go to see films, the chances are there's a classical music score underpinning it somewhere. Absolutely. The major, the vast majority of films, or the sound world of, yes. of an orchestra. So. Um, Funnily enough, I've just got people very excited by it. We've just, 
I don't think it's announced on the website yet. So this is a real Reading podcast exclusive. Depends um, when it's coming because it depends when this one's coming out. Well, it, it, <laughs> I'm talking about something that's happening in October yeah. 2020. Oh, so, okay, so, we're fine. So, we're fine. So um, in October 2020, our program will be uh, titled "Inspiring John Williams." Oh, so John Williams, very famous film composer, um, and people have been bugging me to do a concert of John Williams for 17 years. Yes. Um, and my response to that is, I love John Williams. I think he's a genius. But there is so much more out there. Yeah. Even in just the genre of film music than John Williams. So the inspiring John Williams title will be not only music that's been written by John Williams that we all find inspiring, but music that inspired John Williams. Yes. So, for example... We will play, we will of course play Star Wars, of course we will. <laughs> Which, by the way, is a very, very difficult score. It's, I mean, if you listen to some of the acrobatics, yeah. the high notes, the, it's very, very difficult for the orchestra to play. Um, but we will play also, uh, for example, the Romeo and Juliet Overture by Tchaikovsky, which has a lot of similarities with the way that John Williams orchestrates stuff. Mm-hmm. We will play... Obviously, the Imperial March, can't wait to do that. Yes, that would be great. I'm, I'm, I'm half tempted to don my Darth Vader <laughs> mask for that one. Um, but we will play the Imperial March, and we will play also Wagner, Ride of the Valkyries, which is a very famous piece by Wagner, which probably inspired the sort of the menacing aspect of the Imperial March. We will play um, the theme from Schindler's List, and although it's on a very different sort of subject, we will also play the Adagietto from Mahler's Symphony Number no. 5, which was written as a love letter to his wife, so it's a different yeah. subject, but very similar sound world. The premise being, if you like this piece by John Williams, you'll probably also yeah. like some of these other pieces that you may not realise are th- this accessible to you. You might think that somebody like Mahler sounds really, seems very German and, and austere and, and frightening. Mahler is, Mahler's music is about... It's, it's pure emotion. It's, Mahler said the symphony should be like the world. It should contain everything. And we've performed three of Mahler's symphonies now, and we will perform more, because it's heart-on-sleeve music. Yeah. Um, and it's not... People, people have this image of classical music as being very formal, that you clap politely. And we had some pupils from the John Medeski Academy come to our concert. We gave them some free tickets. Um, and uh, I, I, I said to them beforehand, I said, you know, you don't have to sit and clap politely. You can whoop and cheer as much as you like. And I got, as I walked off the stage, I got an Andrew like that. And I was like, yes, <laughs> my work here yeah. is done. Um, so, so yes, the, 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 you're, you're absolutely right. There are ways into, into classical music. But at the same time, I don't always think it's necessary to present a pathway to people other than come and have a go at it. Yeah. Come, and have a, come and have a listen. Give it, give it, yeah, and, and that's what the concert version thing is about. So to try and encourage people, cost is not a barrier. We just want you to come and have yeah. a go. Um, one of the things I said in when I was interviewed by Berkshire, one of your Berkshire Live colleagues after the Pride of Reading Awards, uh, Lucy, this would have been, yes, was um, that music education has been marginalised in our society. So one of the things again that APO does is to try to. It's one of our objects in our constitution in a very formal sense, um, <laughs> is to uh, educate the public about music, which is a difficult thing to say because then it sounds like you need to be educated yes. in order to enjoy it. But really the education is simply that it's, it, it can be for everyone mm. or any, uh, I'd say anyone, not for everyone. Of course, some people won't like it, but it can be for anyone. But unfortunately, we are in a situation where participation in music um, is 
being driven down by, I'd say, a few decades of marginalisation of not just music, but the arts in terms of yeah. education. We hear a lot about the importance of STEM subjects these days. Um, and it was telling that I took some of my musicians into the John Dacey Academy and did some workshops with the students there. And I took them in to talk about, so they could talk about, they, they could play their instruments, of course, but they could also talk about the impact that music has had on their lives. And every single one of them was able to describe how they'd had free musical instrument yeah. lessons or paid for by the state when they were growing up. And of course, that opportunity does not exist now. So we're, we're talking about an art form, especially in terms of classical music, which has uh, got a reputation for being for the privileged and for the elite, yet we're creating conditions which make it even less likely, yeah. you know, from a social mobility point, point of view, it makes it even less likely that people who can't afford to learn an instrument can. So there's an important role for APO there um, in terms of uh, educating people about the impact it can have on your life. I, I was conducting the university orchestra the other day um, we were doing a, a programme about heroes and there was a, uh, I, won't, I won't say her name, so I, I, well, I'd say I wouldn't want to embarrass her, not that there's anything embarrassing about what I'm about to say, but she is a, a, a world authority on flooding. So we're talking a, a, a world-class scientist mm. here. So we're thinking about STEM subjects. Yes, yeah, it's really important, of course. But um, one of the things that was keeping her... Um, sort of grounded during a period of a very busy period for her she'd been on national radio talking about mm. all the floods and stuff like this very stressful time she needed music yeah to to help her unwind to to bring perspective music and the arts is about how we relate to each other how we relate emotionally to each other so the idea that it, it's a nice to have when we were human it's, beings, we need yeah. the ability to relate to each other emotionally. So I, I find it really dispiriting that music education has been so marginalised. And the other, the other myth about it, of course, is that it doesn't contribute to the bottom line. So in a society or in a world that's obsessed with productivity, you know, GDP tends to be the measure <laughs> yeah. of whether or not something is successful or not, um, rather than other measures that exist around happiness and stuff like that. Um, Actually, the creative industries contribute billions of pounds to our economy. So the I and and if you give a, I think George Osborne, I think said I read in a book um, by uh, Darren Henley that George Osborne said at the dispatch box during one of his um, budgets that a, a billion pounds worth of grants to the arts generates several more billions mm. in in terms of mm. uh, growth to the economy. So the idea that it doesn't contribute to the bottom line is is nonsense anyway. And even if it didn't, we need it as humans. And, and we need it in Reading, and that's part of the role of APO. And of course, APO exists in a, uh, an ecosystem which has been flourishing in Reading yeah. recently. There are so many brilliant organisations and individuals um, which we have the pleasure of interacting and working with on, on quite a regular basis. And um, just this morning, actually, when I probably should have been working... Um, I was on Facebook on, on a thread in a group um, defending Reading against a charge of it being a soulless town. <laughs> it frustrates me so much. I mean, recently the What's on Reading yes. website launched, so it's whatsonreading.com. And just go on there and have a look at the 
amount and breadth of Absolutely. activities and events going on in our town and t- then tell me it's a soulless town that's a suburb of London. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's one that, that I entirely agree with there. We've, you know, by the time this one comes out, we've got a back catalogue of 81 episodes yep. about all the different things that Reading is, does, says and can be done. It's, it's really... Str- I didn't know Reading, until I started doing this podcast, I didn't really know how much depth there was to Reading. But there are so many people that don't look under the carpet, and this goes for for um, for, for kind of classical music, it goes for, um, you know, going to the pub, it goes for uh, it goes for, for sport, for, for, for absolutely everything. Independ- there's no independent shops in Reading. Yes, there are, there's loads. Yeah. There, are, there could be more, of course. Yeah. But there is so much here, and it drives me absolutely crazy thinking that I've, I've just wasted my time recording 80 hours or so of, of audio about how great Reading is and you know there's obviously it just chimes a little bit with like I now know that there is so much going on there exactly every time I meet someone to talk on this podcast I learn something new about what is it I want to go and play the ukulele after meeting um, Dave the guy the ukulele uh, ukulele I'm sure his name was Dave this is going to be terrible it's not, <laughs> but you know I want to go and play the ukulele I want to go and do all of these things I'm not sure I could be in an orchestra because I just don't have the no but you can come and hear an orchestra <laughs> yeah yes exactly and, and, and exactly, when you quite. come to an APO concert we go to some lengths to make sure that you feel that you're not somebody looking in from the outside that you're part of it that everybody in the room is part of this shared yeah. experience. Um, I think it's, it's also worth saying when, we're, when whilst we're doling out praise, because I will be cr- slightly critical of the council in the moment. Or the, or the, <laughs> one of the points I'd like to make, but there are some um, there's some really good intent within Reading Borough Council and some fantastic yeah. people who have since the 2016 Year of Culture in Reading and th- and through that year have driven. Um, a growth in the cultural scene in Reading yeah. and, and the heritage scene as well. So the, from a heritage perspective, you know, seeing the the, the reopening of Re- the Reading Abbey ruins, of course, um, things like the heritage open days yeah. and stuff like that, the, the boards going up around yeah. town. Uh, one of the big driving forces behind that is is uh, a councillor called Sarah Hacker, who's yeah. the chair of the Arts and Heritage Forum, which I was at last night. Um, and she is an enormous force and deserves so much credit for what she's done for the people of Reading in terms of driving the cultural scene forward. Um, and there's a lot of organisations that go to the forum and there's people like Shuji and Suzanne Stallard of Jelly and Mark Albertine of the History Portal and Matt Foster of Reading Rock Academy and then there's charities like Ready Pop and I mean I could go yeah, on. Yeah. And we've also now got um, a new lead councillor for the Arts and Heritage Portfolio called Karen Rowland is absolutely brilliant as well um, and I, I think they make quite a formidable team um, and that having those relationships and having that forum enables representatives of groups like APO like, like me for APO to to be quite honest with yeah. the council so one of the things I, I've been mithering about for quite some time <laughs> um, is the fact that council owned arts venues have the higher prices have gone up out of hand for uh, 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 to be fair they went up a few years ago and then they were frozen for a bit and then they went up again but the increases were substantial right and it's led to the point where apo we performed in the concert hall in reading town hall which is not a venue without its problems by the way for a large orchestra yeah. um 
that we performed in there every January for about 13 or 14 years. Uh, maybe sort of 12 or 13, I can't remember the exact figure. Um, and at the very beginning, we got a, a effectively an at cost rate which enabled us to get in there with our lottery grant, if you remember yeah. about yeah. 20 hours ago when you said that. <laughs> um, and we can't afford to play in there anymore. And that's a tragedy for... A, a, so we, we won Performance of the Year for our performance at Reading Station mm-hmm. a couple of years ago yes. in the Reading Cultural Awards. Um, and it's a bit of a tragedy that we can't play in this beautiful Victorian concert hall um, because we, we've been priced out. Now... Uh, I was assured at the Arts and Heritage Forum that it wasn't, as someone had said a few years ago, because the council preferred to hire out a building or a room called the Concert Hall for weddings and conferences because they can get a better return Mm -hmm. from their asset that way in terms of corporate fees versus charity fees for orchestras like APO. Um, And I'm willing to take that on trust that that's not the policy that's being driven. But I have no doubt that the squeeze on council finances must be a factor. Um, and that that drives, probably is what drives the policy, but what I can't understand is why the price for hiring it is so much higher than the cost price. So I was able to raise this at the Art and Heritage Forum and there are potentially exciting plans that are being drawn up by Reading Borough Council. They're baby steps but it's progress um, to potentially make the venue available um, for community groups at a cost basis for a number of occasions per year, which I think is really exciting. Um, And then if we can show a big desire for that, maybe they'll increase the the number of of, of occasions because I think it's criminal that that building, that amazing building, and I I don't know how, I don't have any statistics on this. I could make a freedom of information request. (laughs) It's quite low down on my priority list, to be honest. Um, it, it sits empty a lot of the yeah. time. So why is it not being used? Exactly, for, it's for, there for the community. We yeah. pay our council taxes. Uh, yes, a lot of people who play an APO come from elsewhere. But quite a lot of us live in Reading as well. So I live in Camerson at, at the moment. And uh, we pay our council taxes. And that doesn't mean we should get the concert hall for free. No. Of course it doesn't. But it shouldn't mean that the council then charges us twice, if you like, yeah. to make money out of us for an, uh, an asset that really belongs to the people of Reading. Um, so that's my little, my little <laughs> gripe over. I've got, I've got my digging about music, the state of music education. I mean, in music education, you know, organisations like Berkshire Maestros do a great job, but they have to exist commercially because they just they don't get yeah, any. You don't get funding, funding. no. Um, and we we need to do more, and APO is trying to do more to increase participation in music, not just orchestral music, but it's the, it's the kind we particularly yeah. love. Yeah. Um, uh, in schools and maybe even you know, looking at avenues where we can potentially fund uh, music instrument lessons for those people who can't afford it um, but uh, I guess it would also be good if, if I may yes. Tom, to, to, to tell you about our next exciting project this was, this was going to be just before we finish off it was just going to be my uh, what's next excellent thank you very much sorry to anticipate you <laughs> wittering on here and not letting you get a word in edgeways it's um, alright these are the easy, this makes it easy for me excellent much easier good so we've got a really exciting project coming up I genuinely of all the I mean we've done so much exciting stuff with APA we've done a couple of big education projects in the past but this is um, uh, very exciting for the purposes of the repertoire so 
a lot if we're talking about classical music that people know most people will recognize Mars from the planets by Holst yeah. they'll recognize Jupiter of course with the the big sort of hymn that was adapted for him I vowed, vowed to thee my country and used for the rugby union and all that sort of stuff so we're playing the planets in February February the 1st um, and we're going to precede it with the sunrise from Strauss's Alsosprach Zarathustra Easy for you to say. Um, absolutely. <laughs> uh, which is otherwise known as the theme from 2001 A Space Odyssey. Right. So it was appropriated for that purpose by Stanley Kubrick. Um, and we, that, together, that program lasts about an hour, so it's very short. So we're going to put on two performances in a day, one at 4.30 in the afternoon, which by its own timing would be naturally better for families anyway. Yeah. And then one at 8 o'clock, um, which is sort of a regular evening concert. And we've... Um, we put in an application I won't say to where because um, I don't want to put any pressure on them but <laughs> for a grant to fund um, some facilities that would enable us to make it a what I would call a, a truly relaxed concert so that a re- the concept of a relaxed concert has been championed by organisations like the BBC Proms and the idea is that it's a concert where uh, all the formality is taken out of it there is a much more relaxed attitude to movement and noise mm-hmm. during the performance, which makes it a lot more suitable for, yes, for families, but more specifically for people with autism, uh, for people with uh, physical and hidden disabilities, for people who are deaf and hard of hearing, blind, partially sighted. So we're going to have British Sign Language interpreters. Uh, we're hoping if we get the grant that we yeah. can engage a deaf poet to realize the music in, in yeah. sign language through poetry. And also, uh, we're going to try and do things like reconfigure the seating. So uh, the seating is less close to strangers for people who are, feel overwhelmed. And we're, having, we're going to have a chill-out tent oh. outside because yes. there's not a room which is easily accessible <laughs> from the Great Hall where this will yeah. happen at the University of Reading London Road campus. And that will have furniture, heating, and a live link to the concert. So if people are feeling overwhelmed, they can go out and relax out there and maybe come in when they feel ready um, and what else are we going to do so that that will be hopefully you're going to have raked seating at the back of the hall as well because that's one of the problems yeah. with all the venues in Reading <laughs> apart from the hexagon is that if you sit at the yeah, back you don't see you as well see um, to go alongside that I've not finished it exciting oh! enough yet is there still more to come um, that we are we, there is a, a live right now there is a poetry competition a performance poetry competition so um, performance poetry, the idea is you listen to the music, so any of the movements from the planets or the Strauss, um, and you write a poem that reacts to that music. Mm. And of course, with the host, it's all based on astrology. So you could have get Neptune, the mystical, Mars, the bringer of war, Venus, the bringer of peace, Jupiter, Jupiter the bringer of jollity, etc. And you can riff on that in your poem. You can choose to either, if you, if you win the competition, um, it's open to all ages, by the way, free to enter if you win you can either choose to perform your poem or have it performed by someone else in one of the concerts or both of the concerts potentially and we're hoping to get some other super prizes as well so (laughs) all the details of that how to book for the relaxed concert or the evening concert and I really recommend that people book soon because it's already generating a lot of excitement and we have a restricted capacity due to some of the alterations that we're making to to make it the venue suitable Um, so you can book tickets for the concert and you can find out details of the performance poetry on the APA website, which um, is 
either aldworthphilharmonic.org.uk or we've just purchased apo.org.uk <laughs> which is a whole lot easier just to if get you can't to. spell philharmonic yeah exactly then, uh, well yeah. <laughs> which I can't or, as it turns or, out so. yes well, I, I think I, I mistype it nine times out of ten when I type it <laughs> uh, Andrew thank you very much for coming to see me it's been an absolute pleasure thank you Tom um, we will speak soon thank you thank you was Andrew Taylor, the musical director of the Aldworth Philharmonic Orchestra, a uh, lovely chap, came in to see me last week. Uh, just a lot to say, a lot to take in. Um, I hope everybody was taking notes because there'll be a quiz later. <laughs> Maybe a Christmas Oh, we should do a Christmas quiz. play? Uh, no, I haven't. I would like to. He had there's some very exciting stuff coming up next week. Um, as he exclusively revealed on the podcast, they are right. going to be um, doing a series of concerts on the music of and inspired and the music that inspired John Williams, the composer of the Star Wars um, uh, music. So uh, music, is that the right? Anyway. Score. Score, yes, the score. So, and that is coming in 2020 and that sounds very, very exciting. Mm. But yeah, um, really enjoyed talking to Andrew. I actually didn't have to say very much. Um, I know he'll be listening to this. They're the best guests though, They are really, yes. We just sort of nod along gently prod gently push in certain directions and, and there we go so can i tell you a very quick story about an interview i once did yes uh, we also discussed our, our uh, christmas do last night it's my favorite ever interview yeah it was the legendary <laughs> david hasselhoff <laughs> and my i had a 10 minute slot and my question was simply can you tell me a bit about about the show please david and there was a 10 minute monologue and then i couldn't ask any more questions because <laughs> i'd run out of time <laughs> So, yes, so I've interviewed David Hasselhoff, but only asked him one question. <laughs> and you didn't think to sort of interrupt in mid-flow? Interrupt? You joking, aren't you? He cannot the half. Yeah, do not hassle the half. Yeah, he was, he was mid-spiel. He could not. So, Andrew, when you're listening to this, you have just been compared to David Hasselhoff, I said, which I think is, a, is an absolute legend and, a, and an absolute compliment I said, to, to you. I said, hello, Mr. Hasselhoff, and he went, hi, buddy. Like that, and, then, and then off he went. <laughs> Well, I think I've just got the title for this week's podcast. There we go. Um, okay, up next, everybody's favourite random question. The random question. Hello, random question time. Seems it's Christmas. Do you want to pick it out of the... All right, I'll pick it out. The, pick it out uh, the pot. Pick it out the pot. Have you got the mug? Here you go. Thank you. Oh, Okay. Right, question this week. Which famous people came to your school? This is an absolute belter. Went to our school or no, came, came to visit? Came to visit. Mm. Although you've got a couple of famous people. Oh, we- yes. Now, of, of course, so Rach, you've got, uh, you, you were Chilton Edge, weren't you? So um, you had yeah. Natalie Dormer, who was, well, a, she was a pupil. pupil. Yeah. Uh, and Hugh, you had the previously mentioned Mr. Ricky Mr. Whittle. Mr. Ricky Whittle, yeah. I wonder if he ever listens to this. <laughs> Slightly freaked out the fact <laughs> I'm always talking about him. I wonder if, he, they, I wonder they, if he remembers me. They, <laughs> they were pupils. They were pupils. Pupils, yes. So we're talking These about guests. people who came and like, performed like visited. or... So, for, for example, or... uh, visitors to my school included the great Chris Akabusi, Olympic Led. athlete, yeah. uh, and Falcon from Gladiators. Was that a man, I don't a man one or a lady one? Lady. What did she talk about? I've no idea. 
you I was a child I can't remember oh yes so so though that I, I think it was probably to do with comic relief okay. I can't or, or some sort of I, I can't really remember why they were visiting but they were there Chris Akabusi and um Falcon from Gladiators. So I told you, didn't I, that I've uh, managed to start getting Zachary into Gladiators. Oh, it's on Quest Channel. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So, who visited your school, Rach? Oh, um, no one. What? I'm just... I. Uh, In your time I there? I am racking my brains and I cannot think of one famous person that came to do anything philip schofield opened a fate in the village once <laughs> pip pip but yeah no he didn't come was to gordon school. the gopher there no oh he wasn't so I, i'm sorry it's a brief okay, answer but fine. no i can't think of anybody you? i'm gonna have to ask my my friends who were there that's good because I have two. Oh. Fantastic. Of course he has. The first, first one I remember. Not allowed to talk about Ricky Whittle. No, again. it's not not Ricky Whittle. Uh, no. Um, the first one I remember was do you remember when Richmond Rugby Club used to play at the Medeski Stadium? Yes, they vaguely. wore a very, ho- very distinctive yellow and orange rugby stripe kit. Okay. For a prize giving at our school, we had Ben Clark who was an England rugby player, who was captain of Richmond. Okay. And he came to do the prize giving. However, in the game that weekend, Ben Clark had suffered a broken jaw. And so, therefore, his jaw was wired up. And therefore, he wasn't able to speak oh. <laughs> at the prize oh, no. giving. So he just stood there. But he still and, came. Yeah, <laughs> he stood there and handed out prizes silently, no doubt in considerable pain from his broken, broken wired-up jaw. But, you know. Wow. He... he he, in true pro style, he, he at least turned up and attempted to smile. <laughs> so that's one. Number the two. best one is a visit from the then up-and-coming pop star, the legendary, the one and only, known to frequent Reading on a regular basis, Peter Andre. Woo. Wow. He was doing a tour of schools. He, this is before he was pretty much before he was famous. He was just he was must have been, I don't know. Was mysterious was girl a thing? A distant thing. Him standing in the sea wearing his jeans was just <laughs> just a pipe dream at that point. Those um, abs. Oh uh, yes, those abs. Yes, we'll get to the abs. It's not oh. objectify the man. Yeah. He was there to promote his music, um, so he turned up to sing to quote-unquote, sing some songs. Um, his equipment was set up to play the backing music. Um, and he started he started performing, shall we say, because he definitely wasn't singing. And something happened, and the music just stopped while he was doing it in the middle of a sort of particularly vigorous dance routine. The music just stopped, so he had to start again. Um, but the... The um, the main thing that happened was that his presence caused something of an excitement amongst the crowd of teenage girls. It was, and the, the look of the head teacher's face when he when he sort of ripped his shirt off to reveal his rippling torso. Um, There's a lot of the, screaming. There was a lot of screaming <laughs> and um, a lot of excitement, and he. He, he performed. I can't remember. I can't remember the songs. They, they weren't his sort of main songs. I think because he was relatively new, he hadn't come up with those classics, um, like "Mysterious Girl." But 
Can you name some more? Uh, flavor. Spelt wrong. <laughs> Spelt wrong. Flavor. <laughs> flavor. Um, and but what happened was he he finished performing and then I think he did a few autographs and stuff like that and then he he was he 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 went to leave because I think he had to go to another school. However, someone had identified the vehicle he was travelling in, and someone didn't want him to leave. And so they had left, let down the tyres on said vehicle. And this is this is not a glamorous vehicle, by the way. It's not a limo. It's not a, anything like. That. I think it might have just been a people carrier. And they let the tyres were the tyres were all let down. Oh. And so Peter Andre then had to sit in the car or sit next to the car while someone sorted out all his tyres. And this was all because everyone had loved him so much so they didn't want him to go. So Peter Andre. So it came from a good place because well, they loved him. I think the person who did it. Um, who I, I I can't remember who it was, but they're out there. They know. I think <laughs> it was someone in my year at school. But Whittle. I, it's got <laughs> Whittle written all over it. <laughs> I'd like to point out to, to any lawyers listening that represent Mr. Whittle that he wasn't at the school at the time. Um, <laughs> I don't think. Um, but yes, he couldn't leave for ages because they had to they had to blow up all four tyres of the, the car. But that is a very memorable visit that is legendary, <laughs> legendary to the pupils of the Willick School in about nineteen ninety six, something like that. I cannot believe that you have never told this story before. I've never seen Hugh no. quite so excited <laughs> and animated, or animated as yes. that. It's right, such, it's such a brilliant story. <laughs> he just loves a little celebrity story, doesn't he? And. Uh, Peter Andre, who, you know, he's just got this kind of warm memory of how funny it was when he came to our school <laughs> and how everyone completely lost control. And the look on my head teacher's face at the time when he when he ripped his shirt off, the shock, <laughs> shock and horror. <laughs> okay, sorry. We're now on the second telling of the story. So I'm going to wrap up sorry, there, Hugh. Sorry, Thank you very no, much. That was absolutely unbelievable. I cannot. I almost want to break this out into an episode of its own, where Hugh sits down by a fireside and kind of just gently <laughs> leafs through a page of a book, whilst like Charles Dance on New Year's Eve talks about the time. Twas the, twas the summer of '96. Exactly. <laughs> and a young Australian with a rippling six-pack descended on West Berkshire. <laughs> okay. I thought he was going to tell the story again. <laughs> Version three. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, before we go, because uh, we have to, um, here's Jeremy with how you can get in touch with the show. <laughs> if you enjoy our prattlings about Reading, and if you've come this far, we assume you must be, please hit subscribe on your podcast app to get the latest episode every Monday morning. You can find us on Twitter at Real Reading Pod and search Facebook and Instagram for Real Reading Podcast. You can also email getreading at reachplc.com. Don't forget, if you know someone we should be speaking to on the show, please do get in touch via Facebook or Twitter. Uh, if you have a moment, please give us a rating on your podcast app. And frankly, after that story, why would you not give us five stars repeatedly making up a series of fake accounts on iTunes just to give us more five stars? If you're not doing that, I mean, what's the point? If there's anyone out there with a better Peter Andre school visit story, <laughs> bring it on. Or even a better school visit story, full stop. Um, um, please give us a rating on your podcast app. And if you have a time, have the time, please give us a review. Uh, we'll be back next week with more podcast goodness and all being well, a chat with Reading's only GAA team. I'll leave that for you to think about for next week. 
Bye. You're listening to the Real Reading podcast. We apparently live in a society where people who go to festivals need to be told that putting their sleeping bags down the toilet is not a, not a very good idea. Did you ever watch that program uh, Hunted on Channel yes. 4? Yes, that was brilliant. Did you see the yes. one where the guy came out of Reading Station yeah. and chased him all through Reading, yeah. all along the canal, and eventually caught him? Yes, that was brilliant.